Welcome to the ACC Basketball Report. I'm your host, Michael Hunter, also known as at Pcone36 on Twitter. Also, uh, the sole reporter on ACCBasketballReport.com. Coming at you today for episode two. Uh, got a pretty full rundown as far as news this week. Pretty excited to be a little bit more organized. Hopefully a little bit less nerves coming at you with this episode and moving forward with future episodes. I know the first one was a little bit choppy and I apologize for that. I promise you as more episodes come out, they will get better. I, I promise you that. I uh, wanted to jump right in it today. Obviously the biggest news of the week is the injury to Bonzi Coulson, uh, the Notre Dame senior forward who was uh, probably a lock to be an All-American at uh, 21.4 points, 10.4 rebounds, and 2.4 blocks. All led the Irish. Um, as far as an impact player for his team, a most valuable player for his team, I'm not sure anybody else in the country really has the the, the type of impact on his team or on his conference the way that Colson does. Without him, I fully expected the Irish to, to struggle a great deal. Um, they obviously surprised me this week. Uh, they came out against NC State on Wednesday. And aside from losing Colson, they also lose Matt Farrell 15 minutes into the game to a sprained ankle. He also missed yesterday's game. Uh, they beat NC State by 30, 88-58, in a game that wasn't really competitive. Um I was kind of obviously shocked. I thought that NC State could probably get a uh, a good win there against the Irish on a team that's on the rebound that doesn't really know what their identity is without Colson. Obviously, when you think of uh, Notre Dame basketball, you think Mike Brady, Bonzi, Colson for the last two years. Notre Dame didn't miss a beat. Um, they came out. DJ Harvey had probably the best game he's had as a in his career in his young career. The uh, the five star prospect that has struggled pretty significantly most of the season uh he came out he had 17 points i think three rebounds a couple of steals uh martin gebbin also played well uh he's the guy that's really gonna have to step up in colson's absence on the season he's averaging 9.7 rebounds in a block um in the first game without colson he did record a double double 10 points 13 rebounds um looked fairly comfortable uh colson like i said uh colson was probably the leader for conference player of the year. He was my preseason conference player of the year. He was probably a lock as an All-American. And to lose a player of that caliber and then come out and blitz a team by 30 that, you know, NC State's not a real talented team, but they're talented enough to take advantage of a team that just lost an All-American candidate and a uh, potential player of the year candidate in the conference. Um, to me, this game solidifies Mike Bray if he wasn't already as being one of the top coaches in not, not just the ACC but probably the country um, he's a little bit overshadowed by some of the other coaches in this conference um, you know obviously Kay and Bayheim, Roy Williams all these guys are are you know national champions they're pumping out draft picks they're pumping out all Americans and sometimes Mike Bray gets lost in the shuffle a little bit because you know he doesn't have a whole lot of one and dones he doesn't uh He's not going to Final Fours, but they are consistently in, um, in uh, you know, the NCAA tournament. They're rarely losing in the first round. They always put a good product on the floor. He's not signing five-star guys, but he's signing good three, four-star guys. And their player development has been incredible uh, over the past few years. Um, Going to get into the week in review a little bit. Uh, Tuesday night, there was only one game. Louisville uh, blitzed Pittsburgh. But the story of that game is Kevin Stallings 
talking to some fans after the game, telling them at least we don't pay our players 100 k to come to school here. Kevin Stallings, everybody kind of knows how I feel uh, if you uh, – if you follow the website, I'm not his biggest fan. I think he's kind of a chowderhead. Um, you know, he was a longtime guy at Vanderbilt. He won some games. He did some things there that probably hadn't been done there in a long time or ever. Uh, he brought in some talent there. He's really struggling in the ACC. Um, they just lost probably their best senior leader in Ryan Luther for, for a couple weeks. <clears throat> he does have some good young players there. This, this comment that he made is it's it's going to win him a battle at home which he needs uh, a lot of the Pittsburgh message boards fans uh, comment sections on ESPN columns uh, Twitter people they they're not a fan of Stallings they were not a fan of the hire they however they will defend still uh, the firing or the the running out of town of Jamie Dixon, which you know that may have run its course. I thought Dixon was a great coach, uh, but I have heard some stories recently about Dixon was kind of a, a defeated man before he left Pittsburgh, and maybe I, I might have changed my tune a little bit. Maybe a change was needed on both parts. However, there's no denying that the Pittsburgh brass made a huge mistake in bringing in Stallings. Um, Brandon Knight, I think, probably would have been the better option. It certainly would have went over better with their fan base. Uh, but this comment to the Louisville fans is probably going to have the Pittsburgh fans circle the wagons a little bit. Uh, he may have bought himself a little bit of time. They did have a pretty rough week. They still lost this game by 26 in a game that you know was never really close. I think they do have, uh, if you follow the website, I did mention this week, I think they've got a pretty good base with uh, the three freshmen should be uh, Parker Stewart, Marcus Carr, and Shamil Stevenson. Uh, all are, you know, guards, wing-type players, perimeter players. That I, I think th there's a foundation there, but as of right now, I don't believe Stallings has anybody committed for the 2018 class. And you, you, you need some inside play in the ACC. You need a post player. You need... You need a guy that can get in there and get you rebounds. Luther was that guy. He's a little bit undersized, but he's a hustle guy. He's a guy that I believe was averaging a double-double before he went down, but I, I'm not quite positive on that right now. Um, Stallings is going to have to recruit better. You know, this, the patchwork stuff, the Juco stuff, I don't think that Pittsburgh fans are going to accept that long-term. Uh, I know that it's similar to what Brian Gregory was doing at Georgia Tech and the G-Tech fans – you know, recognize that there was very little continuity year to year um, and the patchwork and the gelling and things like that. It took a while for those teams to come together. And they basically, Georgia Tech wasted Marcus George's Hunt's career um, working with guys that one year at a time, you know, graduate transfers and, and things of that nature. Uh, as we move into Wednesday night's games, G Tech actually uh, hosted Miami, uh, which at the time was the number 15 team in the country. Georgia Tech got that win by 10, holding Miami to 54 points um, in Atlanta. <clears throat> you know, kind of the same old story. Uh, G Tech comes into the year, not a lot of expectations. I've been down on them a great deal lately. Um, struggling with Wright State, losing to Grambling, um, you know, just, just not looking good this year. Granted, Okogie's been out, Jackson's been out, Curtis Haywood's been out, Sylvester Ogbonda's been out, uh, Ben Lammers has had that ankle injury. He hasn't practiced in almost a month before this week. He is back at practice now. Uh, Okogie comes out, scores 30 points, and Miami just looked bad. Um, 
I have my concerns with them. I still think they're probably the second most talented team in the conference. Um, but they don't seem to play well together. Uh, when Bruce Brown and Lonnie Walker are on the floor at the same time, they don't, uh, you know, they don't play like uh, like a Quentin Snyder and Dengadel. They don't play like Grace Allen and Trevon Duvall, which I think I'm saying that name I was incorrectly. I was uh, I heard yesterday that they, he's corrected the uh, the pronunciation of his name, and I apologize for that. But um, <clears throat> like I said, Ogie comes Okogi comes out, scores thirty. They look great, and I believe that's the fourth top fifteen team that Passner has beaten in McCamish in the last year and a half. So, you know, we're, we're losing games to Grambling State, we're struggling against Wright State, and, you know, we're, we're beating top 15 teams at home. I, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you there. Uh, playing Georgia Tech, as far as a betting line, is kind of like playing the lotto right now. They're a team that I'm going to stay away from. Uh, you never know what to expect as far as the Yellow Jackets go. But Okogie, I think it's fair to say, is all the way back from his injury. Um, Lammers appears to be back from his injury. He's actually practicing, like I said, this week. And uh, G-Tech might be back on track. We're going to find out if they can take advantage of a, a hobbled Notre Dame team on uh, Wednesday night next week. Uh, moving on, Virginia goes into Blacksburg this past Wednesday and absolutely annihilates Virginia Tech. Um, this game was hard to watch for the first 10 minutes. And then, uh, you know, Ty Jerome um, and Kyle Guy, uh, Isaiah Wilkins, they don't have that superstar player, but they've got five or six guys that they're athletes – they're good shooters when they're open. Ty Jerome is really showing some range right now. Uh, Kyle Guy obviously has range. Isaiah Wilkins is a beast on the boards and defensively. You know, to go into Blacksburg and to beat Virginia Tech, a team that was averaging close to 100 points a game, and to beat them by 26 on their home court in front of their home crowd with that kind of perimeter talent that uh, Buzz Williams has that matches up really well with uh, the perimeter talent of, of Virginia – you know, that's a big statement game, I think, for the Who's. And, you know, it makes me wonder about Virginia Tech. I, I mentioned it on the site this week. I'm a little bit worried that maybe I wasn't able to see some of their flaws. Obviously, they're live by the three, die by the three team. I wasn't able to see some of their flaws because of their schedule. I thought they came out, they played really well against Kentucky. And I thought that really solidified my position as far as, as how good I thought they were and how good they actually were. You know, their problem this season is, is forever going to be their front court depth. Um, the loss of Kadeem Sai before the, before the, the season left them very shorthanded. Uh, Kerry Blackshear has been a great player, uh, I think for them this so far this year, but you know, one guy at six ten in the ACC that is just loaded with with quality big men this year. Um, it, it's going to be a problem for them, and it means they're going to have to really make their shots, get open looks uh, from the perimeter. This is something that uh, they, they were not able to do in this game. Uh, Hill, NAW, uh, Justin Robinson, Justin Bibbs, all of them struggled this game. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't a good effort. It wasn't a good showing by Virginia Tech for sure. And uh, – I think I might have to pump the brakes on the Hokies as far as uh, what my expectations are for them going forward. Uh, same night, Wednesday night, the third, uh, FSU uh, holds court <clears throat> or holds uh, serve at home, uh, getting a one point win over North Carolina. Phil Kofer, uh, 
he he played pretty poorly. Uh, some bad luck in this game, but uh, Terrence Mann, C.J. Walker, Brian Angola all played well. Uh, C.J. Walker hit a tough running layup uh, in the second half, going to his right, throwing it up with his left hand with an and one opportunity. Uh, Angola had uh, some big free throws towards the end of that game. They did have an oh shit moment, um, throwing a cross court pass. That you know, one of the one of the UNC players that escapes me, which guy it was, picks off, goes down, lays in. Um, they did luck out on a call on Theo Pinson going over the back, which I did not think he went over the back. Um, I think NCAA referees right now are a little bit confused as far as the over the back call. If you simply out jump a guy, that's not over the back. You know, it's not your fault that you're more athletic than the guy standing in front of you. If you can just jump over him and grab the ball. Now, if you put your hands in his lower back, you push off on his hips, you gain an advantage, that is an over-the-back call. If you trip him up, you throw him into the fucking basket, that's an over-the-back call. And you know, you might have to seek some anger management courses. But that, that call on Pinson, that was a bullshit call. Um, I don't think UNC lost the game solely because of that. Um, they played pretty poorly in the first half. And overall, I thought Florida State um, needed to win that game and should have won that game. Um, and, you know, they, they continue to prove that Tallahassee is one of the more underrated home court advantages, I think, in the conference. Uh, we've been seeing teams go to Tallahassee and lose for a long time. Duke, I believe, a few years ago had a pretty good run where they couldn't win in Tallahassee. Um, and, and now, you know, this, this Florida State team, I don't think they're overly talented, but they seem to play well together. Uh, Terrence Mann and Phil Kofer are one of the more surprising duos in probably the whole country as far as how they're able to score and rebound the ball and, and how this team plays defense, which has always been uh, you know a trademark of Hamilton and his style. You know, Obviously, they're bringing in guys like MJ Walker this year. They brought in Jonathan Isaac last year. So they're getting players. They're not huge on player development, I don't believe. But this year is more of a, uh, a sum of all parts instead of some individual efforts that we might have seen in the past, and they might be better off for it. Um, you know, I'd rather have eight good players than one good guy and seven guys that suck. So, you know, we'll see how the FSU team turns out. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm still kind of on the fence. Um, you know, Phil Kofer has been impressive. I, I've kind of harped on him specifically because he is the one player that probably came out of nowhere uh, to shock me. I expected Terrence Mann to have a good year. I expected C.J. Walker and Brian Angola to be solid ACC players. And so far, they, they've, they've done that. Walker's struggled a little bit, uh, but he seemed to be coming out of it the other night. Um, I'm really waiting for M.J. Walker to, uh, to explode. I think that's going to happen. Um, he's been in double digits a couple times in the last few games. I think when he gets his feet under him and he gets used to this level of competition, that, that's a star in the making right there. Um, you know, if you don't if you don't know who he is, go back and look at some of his highlight tapes from high school. That kid is, you know, he was a legit five star, but not quite a one and done guy. He's just a really solid, smart, athletic basketball player that can score on all three levels. Uh, moving on, let's trying to get through this here. I'm kind of getting a little long winded. Clemson uh, goes to Chestnut Hill and gets a road win over, I think, an underrated BC team, uh, 74-70. Dante Grantham, a nice double-double, 24 points, 13 rebounds. And, uh, you know, Marquise Reed, who I think might be one of the most underrated scorers in the conference, uh, threw in 17 in that game. Jerome Robinson continues to be a fucking terror for everybody in the ACC where he got another 28 points in this game. Um, I, I have... Turn the corner on Clemson. I'm now a believer. I think the Tigers are for real. Um, 
this team, their starting five consistently scores in double figures, all five guys. They have great guard play. They have senior leadership. They have a center who can anchor the defense and block shots. If he can stay out of foul trouble and avoid some silly decisions, he made a couple mind-boggling decisions yesterday on a gold uh, goaltending call and a uh, just basically threw the ball away like it was a hot potato. Uh, of course, we're talking about Elijah Thomas, uh, one of the best shot blockers in the conference. But yesterday, uh, a couple... Uh, you know, on the goaltending call, he probably got caught up in the moment and on getting the ball away. He knows that he is a poor free throw shooter, I'm sure, and coming down towards the end of the game, he's looking to get the ball in somebody's hands. You know, Sheldon Mitchell, a Marquise Reed, a Gabe DeVoe, guys that are going to step to the line, knock that down, and, and, and seal that game up for them. But, you know, all in all, it ended well. They ended up getting the win yesterday. They had a good week, uh, won a couple games, and I believe now they've won 10 in a row. And... I moved them up to three in the power rankings this week, all the way up from ten the week uh, two weeks before I believe. You know that's I fully expected uh, them to, to to lose yesterday to Louisville just for that reason. You know, just as a as a you know the gods, the basketball gods, telling me to calm the fuck down. But you know they're holding they're holding serve. They're uh, they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. As far as Boston College goes, you know they've got that triple threat: uh, Chapman, Robinson, Kai Bowman, who. I was a little hard on Bowman early in the year. I thought that he was not a point guard. I see him as more of an off guard, a small shooting guard that can kind of do it all, kind of like uh, Ryan Sidney was for them years ago. Um, I've been blown away, proven wrong, as far as his ability to play the point. I thought he would be turnover prone. I thought he would be shoot first, shoot second, shoot third, and then maybe think about setting up a teammate for a bucket as maybe a fourth, fifth, or tenth option. Uh, he's not done that. He gets after it on the defensive end. He shares the ball. He's finding the open man. If this team had Dante Hawkins, they would be the surprise of the ACC. I have no doubt they would be better than Wake. They would be better than North Carolina State. They would be uh, probably better than Georgia Tech, I believe. Um, it, it's just it's it's bad luck for Jim Christian. Unfortunately, um, I'm not sure he's going to be able to keep his his position after this. I think that lack of the inside presence, you know, although Nick Popovich is playing pretty well uh, for them, pretty consistent rebounding the ball, giving them you know six to ten points a night. Um, I, I I'm not sure Christian is going to be able to to hold on to that position, but he probably should. I would give him another year, I think. I, I don't think that Boston College is going to attract the kind of coach to come in there and is going to go in there and do a better job uh, than Jim Christian is going to do. And next year he'll have Bowman as a junior. He'll have, I believe, Robinson and Chapman are both back as seniors next year. I know Robinson is. I'm not sure about Chapman. Uh, obviously Hawkins is done, but Popovich will be back. Uh, I think as a junior, I believe he'll be next year. He could be a really a really solid player for them with a year and, and this type of this type of minutes under his belt. Um, I'm, I'm a Jim Christian supporter. Um, I think he runs a pretty decent offense. You know, he he caters to the guys that he has, and I think I think I'd give him one more year. I don't think BC can do it better than Jim Christian right now. Uh, moving on, uh, Syracuse. <laughs> yeah, last week I was buying in Syracuse. They uh, they had a pretty good win the week before. They go down to Winston Salem and they drop a six point game to Wake Forest, who holds uh, Tyus Battle to thirteen points. Brian Crawford had nineteen and five. Um, <clears throat> Syracuse might be the enigma of of the ACC. They're developing players at a rate quicker than I anticipated, and it might not even be development. It might be uh, it might just be that those players were better than I originally thought. I didn't 
ever see much out of Frank Howard before this year, but uh, at the at the point of attack on that defense, he's incredible on, on the defensive end. I think he averages over two steals a game. Uh, O'Shea Brissett is basically averaging a double-double as a freshman. Uh, I watched some tape on him before the season. I did not think he could shoot the ball like this. Granted, he's only shooting 26%, but... He seems to shoot and hit some timely threes. Uh, he rebounds the ball like a fucking madman. And, you know, it, it's a Syracuse team that has length. And when they're going to play a 2-3 zone like that, they're going to turn their defense into offense. Uh, the Providence transfer, the Chuku kid, is is a lot better in the middle um, than I ever thought. I actually never saw him play at Providence. I had I thought he was a freshman at the beginning of the year, and I think uh, if you go back and look at some of the things that I wrote on the site, I called him a freshman a few times. I wasn't aware that he was a transfer. Um, <clears throat> but that kid's impressive, especially on the defensive end. He's getting better at rebounding the ball. He looks a lot more confident. He can finish around the hoop, um, you know, in traffic, through players. Uh, he's just, you know, he's a really good player. I like him a lot. I am huge on uh, Dolage. I think you know, he's going to turn into one of those kids that as a junior and a senior, you know, the, the C.J. Fair type, he's just going to be a fucking, you know, a, a disaster, a storm for, for for people coming into the Carrier Dome and people all over the country. You know, if, well, you know, Syracuse doesn't ever leave New York to play any, anybody in the offseason or in the out-of-conference schedule. But that kid, as a, as a junior, as a senior, as an upperclassman, he's going to be a terror for teams. He, he does it all. He's not putting up great numbers this year. He does some silly things, especially on the defensive end. But I think he's really going to develop. I think Bayheim has something there. Um, if Battle and I think Howard's a junior, I believe. Um, if Battle Howard stick around and hang out with Baisley and Jalen Carey next year, I think uh, I think Syracuse is going to be a really tough team. Uh, I'm not sure if Chuku is back. He might be a junior, uh, looking at a senior year next year. If that's the case, if you you know if you've got a starting five of Chuku, Baisley, uh, Battle, Howard, Jalen Carey next year, and you got Dolage coming off the bench, and well, Brissett Brissett probably plays the four. Yeah, yeah. You know that's you know that's a, it's a it's a good problem to have next year. I think if all, if all of them guys come back, I'm I'm 90% sure that they are. Um, you know I'm not sure about Battle going pro. He can score the ball, but he doesn't have the blow by ability. He doesn't. He's got a little hitch in in his three point jumper. Um, I, I'm not sure he's got the athleticism to get open in the league. He makes a lot of tough shots right now. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure he's he's going to benefit from going to the pros early. He might be a three-year guy. I could see him coming in next year averaging, you know, probably not 20, 25 points a game next year because he's going to have a lot more talent around him next year. But he is going to have that pure point guard, Jalen Carey, coming in as a freshman who's going to be able to set him up. He'll probably have to handle the ball less so they can run him off some, some baseline double screens, some elbow screens, things like that, elbow jumpers. I think he would be fantastic to put in that Rip Hamilton type role where they get him, you know, the mid-range game I know is dead, but if they run him off some of them intermediate screens and they can get him some space on the elbows, he can murder people from that from that distance, I believe. Um, I don't know if Bayham will do that. I don't know if he has any interest in doing that, obviously. But, you know, that's just my two cents. As far as Wake Forest goes, you know, Bryant Crawford continues to be probably their only consistent guy. Um, they seem to get a little bit from people here and there. I still don't know why Mello Eggleston and uh, – the Oliver kid. I don't know why those guys are playing. I don't know why Manning continues to go 10-11 deep when really he should be going 7-8 deep. Brandon Childress should be coming off the bench to spell Johnny Brown. And Brian Crawford should be playing 37-38 minutes a game, which he does. When Doral Moore gets you know, in foul trouble, which happens every night, 
Sars coming in and playing with Thompson. You know, Sars been kind of pared down a little bit. He was getting, you know, low 20s, mid 20 minutes per game. Right now he's seen about 16 per game, which I think that's fair. Um, as he develops, I think that'll be right where what helps out him and helps out the team. He's going to get the experience, but he's not on the floor enough to kill them either. I think Thompson, like I said last week, is a much better option. Uh, Moore's going to get in foul trouble. He's one of the best shot blockers in the country, but he doesn't have that that Ben Lammers ability to stay out of foul trouble. Lammers is you know notorious for being able to block shots and not put himself in a position to uh, put other teams at the line. Uh, Wake Forest, I'm you know I'm still selling. I'm not a believer in that. Um, you know they went to Boston College yesterday and they lost. You know, they have more talent than Boston College. It's not even a not even a debate, but they just don't play. They they don't play winning basketball. They don't run anything on offense. They run it down. They do a high ball screen. They drive to the lane, take a tough layup, and when they get sick of doing that, they're gonna shoot a bunch of fucking threes. So if you're patient, you know they're gonna shoot themselves in the foot. You know you go down, you run your offense, and and you win the game, which is what Boston College did yesterday. Uh, Wednesday night, sticking with that, like we already talked about the NC State <laughs> Notre Dame game. Uh, Al Freeman in that game is something I want to touch on. Well, you know, in the in the Notre Dame game, he had 13 points on five or 16 shooting. He, I believe, went over 27 times so far this year. And at Baylor, he never showed that type of ability to score the ball with that type of volume that frequently. Um, I I was kind of anticipating a regression to the mean on that, and I think that's starting to happen. Um, as you see the competition step up a little bit, you're going to see Freeman's Freeman's uh, production go down. Um, this team's really missing Markel Johnson, in my opinion. He is he plays like his hair is on fire on the defensive end. They want to press the ball on defense. They want to pick you up full court, end line to end line, and create uh, offense from their defense. Without Johnson, who is currently under, I'm not sure if he's been charged, but he's under investigation for felony assault in the state of Ohio. So he's been indefinitely suspended from the team, um, if you weren't aware. He is still on the team. I believe he's still on the bench, uh, dressed out in in uh, sweats. So he hasn't been removed. I don't know. I don't know the particulars of the story. So I can't really speak on it. I just know what's been reported. Um, but he is, I think, the missing link in in this point of attack for defensively for Kevin Keats. I think uh, you're not going to see Keats probably be able to incorporate that that high pressure defense. Um, on the program until he gets some of his guys in next year, which they're going to be freshmen, so they're going to be young, so it might take them a year to get acclimated. So now you're looking at year three uh, to get these guys into the program, you know, get used to what he's doing. And typically the press, I, you know, the press doesn't typically work in the ACC. I mean, you've got one-man press breakers. You've got Joel Berry running the point out there for UNC. You know, you've got Trayvon Duvall, who if, you, if Coach K let him, he'd take the ball on the inbounds, run past five guys, and – make some crazy-ass circus shot, if he could, on every possession. You know, Trayvon Duvall is a one-man press breaker. Joel Berry is a one-man press breaker. Jose Alvarado, when he's a junior senior, is going to be a one-man press breaker. NC State has a one-man press breaker in LeVar Bats. You know, as he as he becomes an upperclassman, he's going to be that, that caliber of player. Um, you know, Brian Crawford is another talented point guard that is probably not going to be uh, – you know, too intimidated by full court press as an upperclassman. You know, these guys are five star NBA caliber players, with the exception of Alvarado. He's not. He's not there. Uh, Bats obviously is not there. But these other guys, these guys are pros. They're going to make their living. They're going to make their money running the point. And you know, a full court press in the ACC is a tough thing to do. I think you know, in the last 15, 20 years, who's pulled it off? Patino. 
Um, and he had hard-nosed New York junkyard dog point guards that were going to dog you. And, you know, if you didn't give the ball up, maybe they'd shiv you. So, you know. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we'll see how it goes. I, Keats dominated, you know. I think it was the Colonial. Is that, is that that conference that Wilmington's in? But uh, with, with a press, with high-pressure uh, defense. And I'd like to see him try. He's bringing in long, athletic guys. You know, I'd like to see some up-tempo stuff because right now the ACC is kind of looking like the Big Ten uh, has in recent years past. Not a lot of up-tempo stuff, a lot of half-court sets. You know, Louisville doesn't run like they used to. Uh, watching, uh, I can't remember which game I was watching the other day, uh, Louisville, Clemson maybe. It, you know, look like Georgia Tech and, uh, and Virginia play and just, you know, slow, methodical, you know, we're going to run our sets. We're going to use 30, you know, we're going to use 30 of the 30 seconds, you know, 29 seconds on the shot clock. And uh, it's uh, it's not becoming a bore. I think it's good basketball, but it's not it's not the uh, the scores in the 90s, the 80s and the 90s like we've seen in years past. Um, I think, obviously, uh, you know, kids leaving early, kids going overseas, things like that are impacting the game. Uh, moving up to yesterday's slate. Uh, I already talked about Louisville, Clemson, Clemson holding court at home. I, I did anticipate Louisville winning this game just to kind of shut me up a little bit as far as riding Clemson's dick. But uh, they went to overtime. Uh, Marquis Reed, 24 points, 5 steals. Ray Spaulding continues to be a budding star for the Cardinals uh, with a double-double, 16 points, 14 rebounds. Um, Anaz Mahmoud yesterday I thought played really well for Louisville. He impacted a lot of shots. I believe he held Grantham pretty well in check. Uh, Elijah Thomas was in foul trouble all day. But, uh, you know, Gabe DeVoe comes out, and in overtime I think he scored either 10 or 12 points, hit a couple big threes from the corner. But Marquise Reed was coming up with timely steals, uh, breakaway dunks, layups, uh, hitting big threes. He hit one one jumper uh, from the elbow, and but from mid-range that just, you know, he, he is one of the most – he's maybe the most underrated player in the conference. Uh, he's a transfer from Robert Morris. Um, he, he played well last year. I thought coming into this year he was going to be – you know, he I, I predicted uh, preseason he'd lead this Clemson team in scoring, and and he's doing so, and he's obviously the best player on offense. And you know now they're getting stuff from Gabe Devoe. You know, uh, Sheldon Mitchell, what is his name? I think Sheldon Mitchell. I think Sheldon's his first name. You know, the transfer from Vanderbilt. You know, great uh, great free throw shooter. He's going to go in there. He's going to seal games for you. Grantham's coming into his own, but I did post a chart in regards to Grantham and uh, how he kind of fades during the season. Uh, if you didn't see it, go to accbasketballreport.com. Check out yesterday's power rankings, or no, yesterday's preview on on uh, on yesterday's slate. And I posted a, a chart of Dante Grantham and how he performs uh, November compared to December, January, February, and March. And he fades a great deal over the, source, over the, the course of his career. Um, I'm not really seeing that this year. I think he's really turned the corner. I don't think he's going to fade this year. I don't think he's going to fall off a cliff. I think Clemson is, you know, at right now a, a tournament team. I don't think they're quite a second weekend team right now. I think they're probably maybe an upset candidate the way they play. They're certainly uh, capable of losing to a team they shouldn't have. But, uh, you know, we'll keep an eye on them and we'll see what happens. Uh, yesterday also uh, Virginia Tech finally gets on the board with their first ACC win, uh, beating Pittsburgh at home by 14. Kerry Blackshear actually had 31 points yesterday, continuing his solid play for the Hokies. One thing that does concern me, though, the Hokies were 4 of 23 from three-point range. Um, you know, the Hokies, like I said, live by the three, dot by the three. If they're playing anybody else in the conference except Pittsburgh yesterday, they're probably going to lose that game because uh, nobody's going to let Blackshear score 31 points. You know, maybe BC, 
you know, he might be able to take advantage of Popovich like that. But eh, even then, I don't think so. Um, you know, one the one bright spot for Pittsburgh in this game, again, Marcus Carr, 14 points, uh, five rebounds, four assists. He, he's the future of that program right now. Uh, he's playing like it. I think he was a little nicked up recently. But if they can find him uh, some guys in the wing, some guys that can score the ball, I think Parker Stewart has a bright future. I think Stevenson has a bright future. If they can find him some rebounding, some rim defenders, I think – Pittsburgh might be okay. I mean, they're still going to be a lower-tier team, but I don't think they're going to be quite the embarrassment that they were last year and the way they started out this year, the way they started out the season very poorly. Uh, Virginia Tech, getting back to them, I dropped them down to 10, 11, I think, in the in the power rankings on Friday. You know, they looked fucking horrible. Uh, you know, there's really no other way to say it. That Virginia loss, if you can't get up for Virginia on your home court against an in-state rival, I mean, there ain't nothing I can do for you. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, that was that was embarrassing. I'm sure they're embarrassed. They came out yesterday. They played well. They didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, Alexander Walker, um, you know, had a decent game. Ahmed Hill had a decent game, but neither shot the ball well from three. And the Hokies right now are broken. Um, they need to regain that that swagger, that confidence they had early in the season when they were hanging triple digits on everybody. Uh, you know, they're not going to do that in ACC play. I don't anticipate them putting up triple digits on anybody over the course of the season in ACC play. But they're certainly capable of getting 80-85. I think Justin Robinson is a great point guard. I think Bibbs, Hill, and Alexander Walker are really good wing scorers. You know, this team has the talent um, to, to be a top-five team, but right now, they look like shit. They look tired. They look um, disinterested almost. You know, Chris Clark being, you know, probably the biggest X factor for any team in the conference, uh, played pretty well this week, but he didn't shoot the ball well overall. Um, he needs to – I think he needs to be a leader on this team. Um, I think possibly bringing him in to play the four and maybe bringing Bibbs off the bench is – is a viable option. I think Bibbs would come in and just fucking wreck second units. I think he's that kind of player, that kind of score. Uh, getting back to the rundown, Syracuse continues the disappointment. Notre Dame goes up to the Carrier Dome yesterday, and they beat Cuse by two in the Carrier Dome. Syracuse scores 49 points against a team that doesn't have Matt Farrell, against a team that doesn't have Bonzi Colson, they give up 21 offensive rebounds. Rex Fluger, you know, hits a nice shot at the end of the game to actually essentially win the game. Uh, Temple Gibbs, at one point, Temple Gibbs in this game was 5 of 10, I believe, and the rest of the Notre Dame team was 1 of 19 in the first half. Everybody except Temple Gibbs, I'm going to say it again, everybody except TJ Gibbs made one shot in the first 20 minutes of this game, and Notre Dame still beat Syracuse. Now, if you're an Orange fan, that's got to sting. That's got to embarrass you. I don't really have much to say about it other than, you know, Syracuse comes in, scores, you know, uh, shoots 39%, scores 49 points. Of the 49, Tyus Battle had 21. He started the game 5 for 7. I don't know what he ended, but he was pretty poor. He made a bad decision, had a bad turnover towards the end of the game. But that also came after he scored five straight points to get them back into the game and give them an opportunity to win. Um, you know, Syracuse... Right now is disappointing, and it's kind of their own fault, I guess. They wouldn't be disappointing had they played like this earlier in the season because nobody expected anything from them. Um, but now that they've kind of established themselves as a pretty decent team, possibly the surprise team in the conference, you know, they can't do things like this. That's an easy win for Syracuse. At home against Notre Dame, that's missing their leader in points. 
their second leader in block uh, in points, leader in blocks, leader in rebounds, leader in steals, leader in assists. You know, that's that's Matt Farrell and Bonzi Colson. You know, DJ Harvey had a terrible game yesterday. I think he started 0 for 8, and somehow Notre Dame still wins. I thought Elijah Gibbs, I think Elijah Gibbs, Elijah Burns, Elijah Burns played really well uh, in the in Colson's absence. Uh, Gebbin played pretty well again yesterday. Uh, obviously, Fluger and, and Gibbs are are the guys that are gonna make this go. Uh, we'll talk about Farrell a little bit in a minute when we get to the injury report. Uh, Wake Forest goes up to Chestnut Hill yesterday. Boston College wins by six. Uh, the one plus for Wake in this game is Chani Brown did score 20 points. He had been struggling the last couple weeks as the scouting reports are coming out on him. Um, you know, it's a good sign, like I said, for the Deacons as Brian Crawford's really been the only consistent guy in the last two weeks for the Demon Deacons. Uh, Keyshawn Woods. Eh, a little hit and miss. Um, he's been a little disappointing the last couple weeks, especially with what he did in the out-of-conference schedule. Uh, if Brown has figured it out, you could see Wake Forest you know, making a splash here and there. They have the talent, like we've talked about before. They have the talent to upset some of these top-tier teams. And you know, if Doral Moore can stay out of foul trouble and Danny Manning shortens up that bench a little bit, I think you're going to see it. As far as Boston College goes, Jerome Robinson, once again, 25 points. You know, can basically book that. If you ever get an over-under bet on Jerome Robinson in ACC play that's at 20, take the over every time. The guy is a fucking maniac. Um, you know, Boston College has all five guys in, start, in double figures yesterday. Um, if only this team, I want to say it again, if only this team had Deontay Hawkins. They would be the surprise of the conference. I know you could, you know, you could say, well, you know, if they had Michael Jordan, they'd be fucking way better too. But it is what it is. They don't have Hawkins. Popovich is playing well. They got a win at home yesterday. It's looking more and more like that win over Duke isn't quite the fluke that we thought it was. Um, this looks like a pretty solid team. You know, I'm I'm not buying Boston College, but they're a stronghold for me. I, uh, you know, I just like I like to watch them play. You know, I like to watch some of these. These mid-tier teams play each other. I don't, you know, typically I don't watch a whole lot of Duke. I don't watch a whole lot of Carolina, even Louisville. Uh, they're just, you know, I don't. They play good basketball, obviously, but it's never really much of a game. I did watch the FSU Carolina game the other day. Obviously, that was a good game. Uh, Carolina's not quite a top ten team, but I think they are a top twenty-five team. Um, back to BC. You know, I, I like watching them play. They they get up and down. They shoot the ball. They shoot it from deep. You know, chicks dig the long ball. But, uh, you know, BC's a fun team to watch. If you haven't tuned in, go ahead and give them a watch. They can beat anybody on any night if they get, if they get hot. Uh, Jordan Chapman's been a, little, been a little off lately, but, you know, they get the win against uh, a Wake Forest team that, uh, you know, that is up and down. That, you know, you never know what you're going to get. Never bet on Wake Forest, especially while Danny Manning's coaching. Never bet on Wake Forest. They'll break your heart every time. Uh, in an out-of-conference game yesterday, Georgia Tech did uh, – you know, run all over Yale, 74 to 60. Jose Alvarado, 23 points, six rebounds, four assists. Josh Kogi also had 20 points. Um, you know, Yale's a pretty good team. I think that, you know, their record doesn't really reflect that right now. I think they came into the game at seven and eight. They leave seven and nine. Um, Josh Pastner looks like he's back on track as far as uh, getting some wins at home. Yale's a team that came into the season that had high expectations, but uh, I believe they have their two best players were, were missing have missed the entire season up to this point. I think one's coming back. I think one's out for the year. Um, you know, they've got a kid, uh, Mie Oni, who I've never seen play before last night. I was really impressed with him. He's a 6'7 perimeter player that can really shoot the ball 
Um, I was impressed by Yale. But uh, getting back to Georgia Tech, you know, Ben Lammers is finally back in practice. Looks like he's over that ankle injury. Kogi looks all the way back. He's averaging 20 a game through, I think, seven games now. Um, Hadrick Jackson isn't giving these guys much. And if you remember him from last year, it was it was a shock to see him go off as much as he did. He had been a player that had a lot of athleticism, a lot of ability, but couldn't seem to apply that to in-game situations up until last year. And then last year he had some games where he single-handedly got the win for the Yellow Jackets. This year he looks a little bit lost. Uh, he doesn't play a lot of defense. He's in there for offense. He's in there to score the ball. And sometimes that is at the expense of Georgia Tech running good offense. Um, sometimes the ball dies with him. Sometimes he does things outside the, the offense, like shoot a three with 20 seconds left on the shot clock. Georgia Tech doesn't want that. Georgia Tech never wants that. They want to run the ball. They want to shoot it with five. They want to keep the score in the 60s. Uh, last night, I don't remember Jacks doing much of anything before hitting a corner three late in the game. Um, last night, it was the it was the Alvarado and a Kogi show, and those two look like they're really meshing well on the court. Uh, ben Lammers is becoming kind of a uh, you know a player that isn't in the forefront for the Yellow Jackets, and I actually think that's a good thing. I mean, if, if Lammers go out there, give them 12, and get 12 rebounds and block three shots, that's beautiful. Um, I think that's going to allow him to be fresher for longer. I don't expect this Georgia Tech team to make any kind of run as far as a, a postseason like they did last year. I think they have more talent this year, uh, but they, they don't play – that well together. I think next year you could see a little bit of Alvarado, Akogi coming together to be a formidable duo, but you know, they're going to lose Lammers, they're going to lose Jackson. So I don't really, like I said, expect much from them. This year, it's possible. They could get hot. They could get to the NIT again. Um, but Alvarado's got to cut down on the on the turnovers. You know, Kogi and Jackson need to remain consistent, or Kogi needs to remain consistent. Jackson needs to get back to where he was last year. Um, moving on to probably the news of the night last night was, of course, I you know, earlier this week I said buckle up. It's going to be a crazy year in the ACC. And then yes, or Friday in the power rankings. I put Duke at number one, and what did I say? I said the only thing I worry about with Duke isn't their talent level, isn't their depth, their shooting, their interior play, their rebounding. It's their defense. They're a young team full of one-and-dones. They have no interest in playing defense because nobody in the league cares about playing defense. They can teach them the scheme later. What they want to do is make sure they can score the ball. And right now, Duke is a team that when they don't have a desire to play interest like they didn't have against Boston College and Chestnut Hill, Boston College hit 15 threes on in that game. They lose to teams like NC State, which last night they go to Raleigh. They lose by 11. Um, NC State has six guys in double figures. Bagley goes for over 30 again, 10 boards, four blocks. Here's here's the, here's the a stat that stood out to me. NC State out-rebounded Duke by two. That should never happen. Not when you look at these rosters, not when you look at the paper. You know, you got, well, you got Javin Delorier, you got Wendell Carter, you got Marvin Bagley. Those guys should dominate. I mean, Marvin Bagley just had 20 rebounds the other night. Leonard Freeman, Yurt Seven, Malika Boo, those guys should never out re- Those three should never out-rebound the first three. I thought Duke played exciting offense yesterday. They got out and ran a little bit. I thought Duvall looked – Duvall looked like Derrick Rose for the first half, I thought, last night. Um, but on the defensive end, 
you know, they, they're not doing anything. Um, Bagley, up until this point, wasn't blocking a ton of shots. That might be – I'm not sure if he's had more than four blocks a game. I'm sure he has, but I'd have to look and, and, and uh, corroborate that. But, uh, you know, they have to play defense. If this team's going to win a championship, they have to play defense. I know NC State was at home, giving up 96 points to the Wolfpack at home or at their home. It's still not acceptable. Not for a team that this that's this talented. Um, I wonder, you know, if if Alex O'Connell, uh, he saw some time yesterday. If he could be that defensive stopper, I don't think Gary Trent has any interest in being that. Um, I thought Grayson Allen would be a better defender than he's than he's showing this year. Duvall is a great defender when he wants to be. Um, I, you know, he's got the reach. He's got a reach of a six nine player and a six four body. But man. I mean, you give up almost 100 to Wolfpack team that just lost to NC State by 30. You know, what is that? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can't explain that. So expect Duke uh, to move down in the power rankings next week. I think we all know who number one is. Um, it's uh, I, I still think Duke's the most talented team. I look forward to later on this month when, when Duke and Virginia get together. Uh, that's going to be a very interesting game, something I'm really looking forward to. Uh, that's pretty much the week in review. Uh, my thoughts, I got a little long-winded on that, and for that I apologize. But uh, I'm going to move right into the injury report, which is a segment that, uh, you know, when it uh, makes itself available, if I can find some stuff, I'll share it with you guys. Uh, I had it down that Curtis Haywood was cleared to run for G-Tech yesterday, but I had to change it late in the game because he actually made an appearance in the game. Um Haywood was cleared to run as far as we all knew, uh, which I anticipated a week to two weeks for him to get back into game shape. He was sitting out due to a shin injury. And uh, last night I'm watching the game and he checks in, uh, you know, with a sleeve on his leg, a compression sleeve, I'm sure. Um, he played uh, he played minimally last night. They wanted to get him in, just get him some run, I'm pretty sure. He came in uh, towards the end of the game where he played most of his minutes. But this is a player – Eight points, four rebounds, four assists in the eight games he played prior to the injury. That's a big. That's a big addition uh, for passengers group. This kid shoots the three. Uh, I've said it early in the season. If you want to teach your kids how to shoot the ball, watch tape on this kid. He looks like you know uh, uh, a smaller version of Preston Shumpert from Syracuse from years ago. Which you know I might be showing my age a little bit. I'm not sure when Shump played, but. Goddamn if he couldn't shoot the fucking ball. Uh, last night, Marcus Bolden also missed the NC State game for Duke uh, with an apparent left knee injury, I believe is what I heard. Um, Bolden is, you know, he's more famous for being a kid that hasn't developed than he is for being an impact player. But at the same time, Duke got a rebound last night. This is a kid that averages four points and three rebounds for Duke. Um, you know, maybe he was, maybe he's more of a, a difference maker than we, than we know. Um, I don't think so. I don't believe that for a second. But uh, and I'm certainly not saying that NC State beat Duke because Marcus Bolden didn't play. I think that would be blasphemy of the highest degree. But uh, you know, obviously he's depth in the front court. I think he's probably a better player than Delorier, um, who's been, yeah, I wouldn't say disappointing, but uh, he's hasn't developed in quite the way I anticipated when I saw him play in high school. Uh, Matt Farrell, we've talked about a little bit. It's looking like he could possibly return for the game on Wednesday against Georgia Tech. Um, obviously, you know, Notre Dame's 2-0 without Colson, and we'll call it 2-0 without Farrell because Farrell didn't play in the second half of the game against NC State. But I don't know if they're going to come into Atlanta and beat Georgia Tech without Farrell. Um, I think I, – I didn't see the injury. I missed it somehow. But, uh, you know – 
According to the broadcast last night, they anticipate to have him back. I think it's good. I think G-Tech and Notre Dame have one of the most underrated rivalries in the conference. I think every time they hook up, it's a great game. But uh, they're going to need him back for that as G-Tech starts to roll, as Josh Kogi starts to find his footing. Um, I anticipate Lammers just dominating Gebbin. Um, we'll see how it goes. I hope Farrell comes back. I like watching him play. He's a great great player to watch shoot the ball. Um one more guy I want to touch on that we haven't talked about yet is I haven't heard anything in just under a month on uh, the UNC guard, Seventh Woods, who originally went out with plantar fasciitis, but I, I read later on that it is also a stress fracture in his foot. So if it's a stress fracture, eh, that, that might be uh, season ending. I'm not sure. I haven't been able to find anything. Um, there was an update on Inside Carolina the other day, but I don't have a subscription to that, so I'm I wasn't able to get behind the paywall and actually uh, and, and validate what they were saying or actually even read what they were saying. That is the injury report. Um, if you guys have any news notes, feel free to send them to me over the website, um, in my email, submit them to me on Twitter. I'll talk about them on the air. I am a gatherer, a hunter-gatherer of information, um, and uh, I'll definitely obviously give you credit on the air. Uh, I want to talk about some transfer news this week. And to me, this one sticks out. Uh, this is a kid that I was uh, not big on, but I wanted in Atlanta. And that is uh, Jordan Tucker is uh, transferring away from Duke. Uh, if you guys don't know who Tucker is, he was the number 82 recruit, according to 24-7 Sports. Uh, he was actually number 42 on ESPN. Uh, he's a 6'7 shooter, uh, four-star recruit out of Wheeler High School in Georgia, originally from New York City. He was down to his final three was Georgia Tech, Syracuse, and Duke. Um, the way this unfolded was Syracuse and G-Tech were, were hot and heavy after this kid. Obviously, you know, based on what Syracuse does, the length in the zone and the three ball, a 6'7 kid that can shoot the ball from deep, which is his, his resume, um, is, you know, that's, that's a diamond in the rough. Uh, Georgia Tech just needs shooters, just needs guys that can score the ball. I mean, this is a team that scores 50, 55, 65 points a game. You know, they need guys that can score the ball efficiently. Um, he goes to, let's see, he unofficially visited uh, Georgia Tech on May 4th. Uh, then he, that was after he took an official to Syracuse on the 7th of April. Supposedly on the 7th of April, while he was in New York, he gave a silent verbal to Jerry Mack and to Jim Beheim. Um, Syracuse really got after Tucker after Mike Hopkins went to Washington. Tucker was not a priority recruit for Hopkins, but when Bayheim got back on the road and started bringing in guys for this season, that's when Tucker really got uh, back into the, the, the possibility of going to Syracuse. Now, when he comes to uh, Atlanta a month later on an unofficial, you know, which Wheeler's right down the road from, from G-Tech, um, apparently he also told the staff in Atlanta that he was coming to Georgia Tech. Now, whether this is true or not, I don't know. This is all hearsay. I talk to people on message boards. I talk to people on Twitter. You know, I, I listen to podcasts. These are the things that I hear. Whether or not it's true, no idea. Um, I know that the crystal ball picks were flowing in for Georgia Tech, which we all know how reliable crystal ball picks, and that actually plays right into this story. Shortly after the Georgia Tech recruitment, or the Georgia Tech visit, um, Kevin Knox, who was one of the top 10 players in the country, uh, had his decision day, and he decides to go to Kentucky. Uh, Crystal Ball had him at 89%, I believe was the number, to go to Duke, and Knox threw a big monkey wrench into that. So over the next, 
over the course of the next few days, I think that might have been the 5th or the 6th when Knox uh, decided to go to Kentucky. Because in the past, Jordan Tucker had described Duke as his dream school. That was the offer that everybody knew he was waiting on. I know according to the Georgia Tech message boards, we wanted him to recruit or wanted him to commit in the fall to avoid, you know, the, the Duke offer. We wanted him um, to commit to sign. That way he wouldn't play for Duke. Uh, Duke comes in after the Knox news. They offer on 5-7. JT uh, official vits, visits uh, Duke Durham on the 10th of May. Okay, D- Duke offers on the 7th of May. Tucker's on their com- campus on the 10th of May. He commits on the 13th. So base, I'm sure they kept in touch, you know, uh, the Syracuse Georgia Tech fans are bitter about this recruitment. I think he was probably he was probably going to Syracuse. If I if I had to guess, he was going to Syracuse. Um, that was the feeling that I had. That was you know some people that I trust thought that he was going to Syracuse. The Syracuse message boards were all confident he was going to Syracuse. Which you know what do they know? They know what I know, uh, with the exception of probably a couple of them. But uh, you know, and and after after he signs on the thirteenth, you know we. We're talking on the boards. We're talking on Twitter. He's not going to play. They're going to recruit over him. This kid is—he's not a one and done. He's a—I'm not going to say a one-trick pony. He's a talented kid. Um, I have talked to people that live in Georgia that say if you didn't know what his ranking was when you went to see him play, you would never guess that he's a top 100 kid. But he can shoot. Um, he's not—you know—he's—I'm he, not going to say he's not a, a winning basketball player, but. He, he's a shooter. He, he, you know, he chicks dig the long ball. You know, I, I'll say it again. He's a six, seven kid that can shoot the ball. And, you know, what do we know from Duke? They love to have kids that can shoot the ball from the corners. But we also knew that he wasn't going to play at Duke. They're going to recruit over him. He's got to beat out Alex O'Connell. He's got to beat out Gary Trent. He's got to beat out Grayson Allen. He's got to beat out, what, next year they got Cam Reddish. They got RJ Barrett. They have all these kids that are coming in each and every year that you're going to have to beat out. And he's not going to do it. So he lasts. What has he been on Duke campus for six months? Now he's got to transfer. Um, he's not going to go to Syracuse. He's not going to go to Georgia Tech because due to transfer rules, he's got to sit out two years if he goes to in-conference schools. So John Rothstein reported that he was on the Georgetown campus on the 5th. Um, I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't know enough about the kid. Obviously, I don't know the kid. But Georgetown, eh, I mean, that's that's where you're going to end up. I mean, <laughs> your, uh, your options are – or Duke, Syracuse, and Atlanta, and then you end up in D.C., ah, that's that's a kick in the nuts. Um, you know, so far in the season, he's played in two games for 14 minutes, hasn't really given them much. I, You know, uh, this, this gets me into something I've said multiple times. Picking the sexiest name on your offer list is not always, or probably never, the best option. You know, some of these kids get caught up in the big offers. They never think about if they're going to play or not. You know, this kid could have gone to G-Tech and played significant minutes. Now, I'm glad he didn't because if Tucker were to go to Georgia Tech, Curtis Hayward's probably not in Atlanta, which I'd rather have Hayward. I think he's a better player. Um, but these kids, they're, they're listening to people they probably shouldn't be listening to as opposed to, you know, looking at what they want to major in, what they want to do after basketball whether or not the the product that that coach is putting on the floor fits their their talent, fits their their strengths, um, mitigates their weaknesses, um, you know, just because Duke offers, that doesn't mean Duke is the best place for you. That means Duke is trying to put a talented kid on their roster 
you know, in case the other four guys in front of you get hurt. Jordan Tucker was never going to play over Gary Trent. I mean, Gary Trent's going to play 34 minutes a game. If you want to compete and practice every day for that six minutes, hey, more power to you. You know, if that's where you want to be, if you love the city of Durham, which, hey, I live 20 miles away from Durham, I can't imagine anybody saying, Jesus, I love this fucking city. I'd like to live here my whole entire life. But, you know, that's me. You know, different strokes, different folks, and all that. So I hope Jordan uh, lands on his feet. At the time we were recruiting him, I would have loved to have had him in Atlanta. I think Syracuse is probably the best fit for him. He's not going to end up there either. And ultimately, if he lands at a place like Georgetown, I, you know, that's that might be a sad story because I don't see Georgetown being a world beater anytime soon. All right, um, I'm going to get into some recruiting news. Uh, there is a huge announcement coming up in about two weeks, two weeks from yesterday, I believe. Zion Williamson is one of the top five kids in the 2018 class. He'll be making his announcement on where he's going to school on the 20th of January. Now, if you don't know who this kid is, this is a kid you got to look at YouTube for. This kid is, he's 6'7", he's 270. I think, uh, I think that's a little generous. Uh, he reminds me of Barkley. The only knock on this kid is I've never seen him shoot a jump shot. Um, I worry a little bit about his weight, but he is a fucking highlight reel waiting to happen. Some people have him ranked number two behind R.J. Barrett, which if you watch the games, uh, the under-19 games from Egypt last year, you got familiar with R.J. Barrett. He is one of the best players I've seen, not only at the prep level, but maybe anywhere right now. He's incredibly played for Team Canada. Um, I have Cam Reddish, another Duke signee, ranked ahead of Williamson. I think Reddish is a future star. He's a guy that does it all. He doesn't play seemingly hard at all times, but I think as he steps up in uh, in in competition, he's going to be a fucking monster. You get him on a nutrition program, you get him in a weight room, you get him playing against some of these guys at Duke, you get him playing in practice against R.J. Barrett, Alex O'Connell, possibly Gary Trent next year. You know, this kid's going to just become a monster. He's going to be an NBA star one day. I don't know if the ceiling is that high for Williamson. I don't think I don't think he can shoot the ball. I've never seen it. Um <laughs> Every highlight video you see of him is him trying to break backboards and then beat somebody to death with the rim in his hand that he just pulled out of the fiberglass. Um, now, of course, he did play in a game, one of the one of the more famous games on the AAU circuit uh, last fall, where he played Lamelo Ball, and I think that was at the Peach Jam. I'm not sure. It, it was somewhere where. There was fire hazards in the fucking police department and everything else. But anyway, this kid, like I said, 6'7", 270. I think he's probably closer to three bills um, out of South Carolina. The biggest news here, and the reason that I'm talking about him, is it's become clear that he's a kid who's going to go his own way. Um, and that's good news for one team on his list. Right now, the team gaining the most steam on both the crystal ball, and there was actually an article written by on Rivals the other day, I believe, by Evan Daniels. Uh, they have Clemson on the crystal ball at 70% likely to get this kid's commitment, which obviously that's him staying home. I thought for the longest time he was headed to Kansas. I thought it was a foregone conclusion that he was going to join Devin Dotson and Quentin Grimes, and they were going to have one of the best, you know, outside of Duke, they were going to have one of the best recruiting classes in the country. Right now, it's not looking like that. And the way that Clemson's playing right now certainly has to help Brad Brownell in this recruitment. I believe they get Marquise Reed back next year. Uh, Elijah Thomas is obviously back next year. Which you, if you can put Williamson in the front court with Elijah Thomas, and you've got this, uh, the Amir Sims kid, and you've got Clyde Trap, who looks, you know, uh, like he could be a future offensive 
offensive player for Clemson, and I think you get Reed back for his senior year next year. Ah, uh, that, that's that's a good team. That's exciting. Um, that obviously is gonna that's gonna save Brad Brownell's job. I mean, if he falls flat in his face the rest of the season, and he lands this recruit this this commitment on the twentieth, there's no way Radakovich fires Brad Brownell. Not when you've got a hometown kid coming to his hometown school after a team started 14-1. and They could probably lose every game the rest of the season. I don't think they'd fire Brownell if Zion Williamson wants to come to, come to Clemson. Um, that's something to keep an eye on. I'll obviously be talking about that uh, the weekend that he, that he commits. Uh, that'll be two days before uh, I broadcast on the 22nd. Um, I want to do a quick stock report, who I'm buying, selling, and holding. And then we're going to close it up. Uh, I'll get to my hold first. I am still not convinced that the Florida State Seminoles are I'm not gonna say a tournament team. I think they're a tournament team. They're not I don't I don't know if they're a sweet sixteen team. I think UNC might be a sweet sixteen team and Florida State just beat them, but I'm not convinced. Like I, I didn't rank Florida State ahead of UNC in this week's power rankings. Um I'm not sold. A team that's relying on Phil Kofer and Terrence Mann is not a team that I'm gonna put my full support behind. I, I got to see more, and it might be a it might be a, an instance where I don't believe all season, and they and they show me in the tournament, and they make a run to the final four, and I look like a fucking moron. I'm okay with that, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that I'm buying this team until I'm actually buying this team. Uh, one point win over Carolina at home, eh? You know, Carolina's good. Like I said, they're not a top ten team. Good, not like they've been ranked. They're they're fifteen to thirty. I think they're comfortably in there and they're probably closer to 30 you know I, I, inside the ACC they might be okay because it's kind of a down year in the ACC but I, I don't think they're the 15th best team in the country I, I don't think that not not even a little bit uh, moving on to who I'm selling I am selling the Louisville Cardinals um, it came down to Louisville and Virginia Tech for me on who I'm selling this week I, I still like Virginia Tech and that might be my downfall um I just like their – I don't really no, – I'm not going to say their makeup, but I like their talent. Um, I think they have a real point guard. Obviously, guard plays is huge in uh, college basketball. I think they have tremendous talent on the wings. When you talk about Alexander Walker, uh, Justin Bibbs, and Ahmed Hill, they don't have the depth in the front court. But, you know, West Virginia has played like that for a while. Obviously, Virginia Tech doesn't play the defense. West Virginia does. But uh, Paris Horn is a kid that has played out of position at the four. Um, he's given them minutes at that at that position, and he's played well. Um, teams have teams have played with four. Villanova did it for years. Jay Wright played with four guards for years. Now, granted, that was during the years where they weren't making Final Fours and winning championships or anything like that. But if Virginia Tech can make a you know a second weekend, I think you know people in Blacksburg are going to love that all day long, especially before Buzz blows town, which is what everybody anticipates he's eventually going to do. He's going to turn, he's going to parlay that job into a huge job one day. Um, whether or not that's this off season or next, I don't know. He's got a pretty good class coming in next year. Again, loaded with perimeter guys. Um, so again, Louisville. Getting back to them, I'm talking more about Virginia Tech than I am Louisville. Louisville is a team that you know they've got shooting. Snyder can shoot. McMahon can shoot. Uh, obviously, Dengadel can shoot. I think he's a little bit overrated. If you actually look at his numbers, he's not that impressive of a shooter. Uh, VJ King's been a little bit disappointing this year. 
Anasma Mood's going to win the Defensive Player of the Year in the conference, I think. That's that's a foregone conclusion if he continues to play like he is. And Ray Spaulding is a guy that has future star written all over him. I've said it all year. This guy is a going – if he's not right now, he's going to be a double-double machine. If he sticks around for all four years, he's uh, going to be a fucking monster. He's, you know, he's not Montrez Harrell good, but he's good. He's really good. Um, and he can block shots. He plays well on both ends. He can step out and shoot it if he has to. I think we'd all rather not see him do that. But apart from him, there's nobody that I really trust on this team. I don't think Paget has solidified himself as a great coach yet. Um, Snyder is not a true point guard. He's more of a scoring point guard, which is something different for Louisville. They've always had... You know, guys, you know, Peyton Siva was a guy that he could get you 25, but he's better off, you know, getting you in your offense and he's better off defensively. I just, right now, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I don't, of the teams, if you, if you told me I had to pick one that I thought was going to fall the farthest from Florida State, Virginia Tech, or Louisville, um, I'm probably taking Louisville. I, I just don't. I'm not a huge believer in what they're doing on the floor. I think Padgett has some learning to do. I think it's going to be a little bit of a rough road. I think next year he could, you know, he's again, he's got a great recruiting class with Malik Williams, Darius Perry, and Jordan Wara. I think he'll be fine talent-wise. I just think, uh, you know, this is his first head coaching job. He got thrown into the ACC. It's going to be a rough road for him. I mean, you put David Padgett up against Leonard Hamilton and Buzz Williams, I'm going to take the other two. Padgett's, Padgett's going to be the odd man out. He's going to be the guy without a chair. Um, and I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I don't think anybody knows if he's a good coach or not yet. But I think he's got a lot to learn. I think that he got elevated quickly because of who the team wanted as a coach. They all wanted Padgett, apparently. And now they're kind of getting acclimated to his style. I don't think that they're a tournament team anymore, though. I uh, I don't think they're I don't think they're headed to the tournament. I think they're going to struggle based on what I've seen the past couple weeks since ACC play started. I think Louisville is in for a long, a long ACC year. But we'll find out. Um, buying, who am I buying? I think it's pretty obvious based on this uh, on this podcast who I'm buying, and it's two teams. It's uh, it's Clemson and Virginia. Um, it came down to those two for me. I'm really buying Virginia. I, I think that Virginia is probably the most complete team in the conference. Uh, as far as what they do defensively and what they're capable of offensively, that that destruction of Virginia Tech was incredible to watch. I mean, in a blink of an eye, they were they were up five, up seven. You know, it wasn't a big deal, and then they were up twenty in a fucking heartbeat. Kyle Guy and is a player who he might go four for fourteen like he did the other night, or two for ten like he did the other night, but he also might hit seven triples like he did against West Virginia. Um, Isaiah Wilkins is. Maybe the most underrated defensive player in the country. I think that's fair to say. I mean, he hits the defensive glass. He came up with a huge block the other night. Uh, not against Virginia Tech, but uh, in their game previous to that. I'm not sure who that was. Uh, I don't know. But huge block the other night uh, on a, in, a, in a spot where they really needed it. Maybe Boston College. Maybe. I'm not sure. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, complete team. Ty Jerome seems to be, to be turning the corner, the sophomore point guard. He, you know, he's scoring the ball like a fucking madman. If you look on uh, the power rankings, maybe I put some stats up on him the other day. The last four games, last five games, I think he's turned the ball over six times. That doesn't include yesterday's game, which he also yesterday had a pretty good game. Um, I, I just, I'm, I'm big on the Cavaliers right now. They're going to be number one in the power rankings next week. Uh, there are some other, there is some other movement that's going to take place. Uh, obviously, Duke is only going to go to two. 
but there's going to be some serious rearranging. NC State's not going to take a jump for me. But uh, getting back to the, the stock watch, Clemson, I resisted them early. Uh, not a believer in Brownell. Uh, I think that he plays a brand of basketball that is just – it doesn't – it doesn't play to what he has on his roster. He's got some good players on his roster. I mean, Reed Mitchell or Reed Mitchell and DeVoe are, you know, they're they're upperclassmen. They're good scorers, good free throw shooters. Um, they can run an offense that's more complicated than what they're running at Clemson. And they can run, I'm going to say exotic maybe, but it's dull. It's dull to watch Clemson play, which, hey, they've won 10 in a row. What the fuck do I know? When you win 10 in a row, you keep doing what you're doing. When you're 14-1 and one and you're in the top 25, you keep doing what you're doing. It seems to be working, but I think in the past, Brownell just doesn't run enough offense. He, you know, He's reliant on his defense. I've never been a fan of that. I don't think recruits are a big fan of that. I'm actually really surprised that Williamson is is about to commit to Clemson, potentially. But, hey, right now, Brad Brownell looks like the best coach in the ACC. You know, he looks like he's the one that's able to put, you know, he's he's the one that took a ball of clay and molded it into what works, whereas Kevin Keats hasn't been able to do that, which, you know, it's his first year. Uh, Passner is up and down. He hasn't really been able to do that. Georgia Tech's not consistent by any means. Uh, Leonard Hamilton is a guy who's taken talent for years, thanks to Carlton Young's, you know, raping and pillaging of the Southeast and done nothing with it. What has Florida State done? Nothing. So right now, Brad Brownell looks like the best the best coach in the middle tier of the ACC. I think clearly Duke and Virginia are the, are the cream of the crop, the class of the, the conference. But, you know, Clemson, like I said, I moved them up seven spots in the updated power rankings yesterday, and I think they're deserving of it. You know, they're better than Louisville, which obviously they showed yesterday. They're better than Florida State. They're obviously better than Virginia Tech, who's looked fucking terrible. Um, UNC, that, that's going to be a good matchup. Um, Virginia, I'm sorry, Clemson is playing Miami on the 13th, which would be a good game, um, I think. Miami looked fucking horrible against Georgia Tech. I, I think uh, they need to they need to figure it out. Laranaga, I think Laranaga will. Laranaga's a good coach. Uh, Virginia is actually meeting Duke on the 27th, which that has potential to be the game of the year. That, that might be... You know, that might be fireworks. You know, that's a Britney Spears halftime show at that game. But uh, we'll see how it goes. I appreciate you guys for tuning in today. That is the ACC Basketball Report uh, for the 7th of January. I hope uh, this was a little bit more enjoyable than the first episode. Like I said, I know it was a difficult episode. It was difficult for me as well. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you guys tune in. Tell your friends. Check out some stuff on accbasketballreport.com. Uh, it's it's uh, some stuff that I don't always bring to the show that I'm not always going to bring to the show. Sometimes it's just a stream of consciousness type thing. Uh, the message board and things like that on the website are coming. Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I'm excited. I'm excited where this is going. It's like I said last week. It's a passion for me, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I hope you guys stick with me. I appreciate uh, all the people that uh, listened to last week's episode, and uh, I look forward to putting this product out for you each week. You guys have a good week. Stay safe. Remember to uh, drink water with your bourbon. Have a good day.